we look to the stars. And this is this to me this is what I love about all of the, the different angles you can get on how we all see the world and through indigenous cultures all over the world, but also I mean, this is how I grew up too. I we look to the stars for guidance or like so often. And this is very strong in Lakota mythology. The stars, the Milky Way, or all are all quite important to them. And this is across cultures and across time we've we've looked to the sky and the stars in this way and the eagle in some ways is representative of that because the fact that it flies and it's in the sky welcome to the wild foundation podcast voices of wilderness through the stories our guests share you'll learn about how we can and must protect wilderness for a healthy future. We hope to leave you a little more inspired to speak out, take action, make a difference, and find solutions to the biodiversity and climate crises. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Voices of Wilderness. For the next year, we'll be creating some really special episodes taking you behind the scenes of the 12th World Wilderness Congress aka Wild 12. We'll uncover how it all started, how it's being organized, who the hosts and speakers are, our hopes and dreams for this event, and really the powerful messages that it's going to carry forward. On today's episode, we're shifting gears into something visual yet deeply meaningful, the Wild 12 logo. Call me biased, but this logo is awesome. When I first saw it, I knew we had to share the deeper symbolism and creative process with our wild friends out there. For that reason, today, we're chatting with Marion Lowe, the creative mind behind the design. So let's jump into how it all came together, shall we? Hello, hello, Marion. It is so lovely to have you here with us today chatting about the Wild 12 logo and the process that's gone into that and who you are as a person and as a graphic designer. We're so excited for the Wild audience to get to know you a little bit better. Can you share with us a little bit of who you are? Thanks, Jackie. Hi, everyone. I work as a graphic designer. I live in British Columbia, Canada, but I was actually born in Australia. And I immigrated here about 16 years ago. Uh, I studied visual communications as an undergrad uh, in Australia and developed a real love of typography and illustration and all of those things. And, you know, I was obviously illustrating from a young age, but it was there that I developed the foundational skills. So the other thing, I guess, about my background is I grew up on a sheep and cattle farm uh, in rural Australia. So I was very much around animals and, you know, outside a lot growing up and also working the farm. So I had the reality of, like, the, the tactile, hands-on aspects. You're literally connected to the land that you're living on. Yeah. Yeah, and, they, and, uh, and seeing things be born and die and all of that sort of stuff. So I, I didn't really appreciate that until I moved to the city at a quite, like at 17, I left time to the city and I realized that that was quite a different way to grow up from a lot of people. And then I lived in the city for quite a long time and traveled. And my, my goal was always to travel and see the world because I really 
wanted to learn about it and, and make sense of it and understand it. Like, why is it the way it is? How does it work? Where Where is my place within this space? And so I travelled as much as I could, worked and travelled, and then, then did go back to Australia, got my undergrad, and then eventually ended up in Canada. I taught graphic design since then at a local college, but also set up this, set up my practice as a, as a graphic designer and, and literally through word of mouth connected with people and that's how I connected with Wilds for this particular project we're going to discuss today. Absolutely wonderful. Well, I'm so excited to dive in because you know we've now announced Wild 12. We're so excited about it. But the logo was one of the first things that we saw internally as one of the materials, you know, that physically embodied what we had envisioned and talked about for so long for this Congress. So to see it come together so beautifully, and I, I don't, I the first time I saw it, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is just a really beautiful representation of what we're trying to do with this Congress. But we'll get into that. We will get into that more. But, you know, we like to start out with asking our guests, what does wilderness mean to you? That definition might have changed as your life, you know, from growing up where you did to then moving to a city and then now moving across the world. But so what does wilderness mean to you in general? It's a great question because words are so open to interpretation. And not only that, we've been educated on sometimes a particular meaning of what they mean, which may not be the true representation of what that is. So I'm sure you get different answers depending on who you ask. And if I, like, I have my brother, my sister uh, lives in New York, and, and my brother in law grew up in, you know, downtown Manhattan. And I'm always really amused at, you know, his perspective on the outdoors and wilderness and um, how for him it literally is wild as in not a comfortable place to be. But for me, there's nothing wild about wilderness. For me, wilderness is actually space and it is a very humbling place for, I would say, a human to be because it, in some ways it's so grand and it's so great that it, it teaches us that we're part of a very intricate system and that we're not actually individual, that everything is interconnected, that everything moves through cycles and all of that sort of stuff. So I, and actually since I moved to Canada, like 16, one of the reasons I stayed here was because it is, it's, I mean, that there is a lot of space here with mountains, with trees, I really fell in love with the nature here. And I never, I very, I don't really recall ever feeling, I would feel at home out camping at the mountains and looking up the stars. Like to me, all of that, I, I never feel afraid or unsafe. It's, it's very natural. It's a very natural space for me to be. So I would say if I was to describe wilderness, it's, it's not a wild, as in a prohibitive space. It's actually a space where we have the opportunity to be humbled and, I don't know, in some ways <laughs> grounded. And nor for me is it a place of escape. For a lot of people, it's, it's a place they can seek and find relief and that's completely understandable and fine. But to me, it's, it's not so much a place of relief anymore. I think I did use it for that in the past. But it's, it's a place 
of humbling and to to respect and to observe actually deeply observe because there's so much we can learn from it do you feel i mean it's it almost sounds kind of the first thing that comes to my mind when i hear your definition of it is home almost it's kind of a sense of returning back to a place where we belong that we respect that we connect to that we feel a part of do you feel that you take that sense of belonging or and do you incorporate any sense of wilderness into your design work i mean your design work probably spans from ranges from so many different things but when you're designing do you go back to sort of a place of like grounding like when you're creating designs for for people yeah it's a really great question because well i mean in some ways what you're asking is is it is it consistent like this is and this is interesting because you what you've just asked is wilderness out there and for me no it's not out there wilderness is if we were to talk about wildernesses in the way that I just described it, or that sense of place and being home, know that actually is something that is almost within you. Because, I mean, how, how could we possibly be separate from nature? We are nature. We have particles and everything else the same as everything else does. So, and this is something I've learned for sure. So, yeah, 100%, it informs all of my work. I humped in it not because I am that in some ways. But not and not in a out there sense, like in a very real sense. Like we we have a day that is a cycle that we have to live by, and we have cycles within that. And so I actually find it really supportive for the kind of work that I do because it's not always easy to sit at a computer all day. It's not a natural thing for us to do this, but yeah, I do sometimes twelve-hour days, and. What can hold me through that is that that foundation of connectivity is probably a great way that, in a sense, that I'm a part of something greater. No, that's so well said. It's almost like we can't not disassociate, but remove ourselves from it because, like you said, we are a part of it. So it's almost like it's inherently a part of everything that we do. It's so interesting. And I haven't necessarily thought about it like that, but you've you put it really, really beautifully and framed it very well. So to kind of dive into then what the creative process was like for the Wild 12 logo, I mean, genuinely, we love it. We think it's so stunning. We Obviously, it's very well thought out, but we really want to give you the chance to explain a little bit more about what went into that creative process and, you know, picking the elements that you included because there is so much in that logo. And it, you, someone can look at it and just say, oh, this it's a very nice logo. But when you dive deeper, there's so much meaning behind it. So take us through that creative process, please. I, I would love to pick your mind because that's like, this is genius. <laughs> well, yeah, I like to, I do like to go deep on things. And then particularly around when we're talking about respectfully honouring the background of a logo such as this, which, you know, the wildest being held in Indigenous territories and those territories need to be honoured and respected and that was part of the inspiration for the logo. So 
Um, I've had the honour of working with a number of different Indigenous groups and I've learned that my job, and this is actually across the board, it's not specific to any particular group, I see myself as a facilitator and I don't actually take on the mantra of artists, so to speak, in that I'm coming up with it. For me, I my job is to observe and then respond to what I've observed. So I guess it starts out with that. Like, and that begins from the moment I'm approached. So Amy Lewis contacted me, you know, to see if I had space to to work on the logo. And the brief was literally, there's just two things we want to include. We want to include an eagle and a bison. And so it's like, okay. But I didn't think about it too much. I left it. And Amy connected me with Phil to Eagle from the Sikangu, the Dakota Treaty Council. And Phil was able to support with a lot of material around the mythology of Lakota people. And so, and it was actually extensive. I wasn't able to read it all, but there was one particular PDF that had some beautiful diagrams and very thorough explanation of Lakota mythology and philosophy. And so that was immensely supportive. One of the things that Phil suggested was that it would be very, it would be worthwhile to include the Big Dipper as well. So I was given then three elements, the the eagle, the bison, and the Big Dipper. When the first two, the the eagle and the bison, were suggested, I had already had a sense that the way that they needed to work together was in some kind of symbiotic relationship. And the reason for that is I have worked on a project for Lakota people before, and in that particular project they shared with me how the relationship between earth and sky is very important to the Lakota people. And so that was for that project. So you build things along the way. And so I I really had a sense that the bison very much represents the earth aspect and the, the eagle, the sky aspect. In the logo, I so I started to sketch. So how could I pull these two together? So then then comes the sketching process and seeing what form takes place. I don't think about it too much. It's just, you know, how could it get an eagle and a bison interact and be, you know, with each other? So, and then came a, a kind of a, a something that I could work with. And what was interesting was the way that the eagle comes out from below. So you're actually, the eagle is very beholding of the bison in the logo. I don't think about this too too much as it's happening, but then it happens where I'm like, oh, that makes sense, you know. And we look to the stars, and this is this to me, this is what I love about all of the, the different angles you can get on how we all see the world and through Indigenous cultures all over the world, but also, I mean, this is how I grew up too. I, you, we look to the stars for guidance, or like so often, and this is very strong in Lakota mythology, the stars, the Milky Way, are all all quite important to them. And this is across cultures and across time. We've we've looked to the sky and the stars in this way. And the eagle, in some ways, is representative of that because the fact that it flies and it's in the sky. So, yeah, the eagle, in in that sense, is holding the bison in the way that the sky holds the earth. Then the earth aspect, the bison... So then I was like, hey, well, where do we bring the Big Dipper in? And it felt that through the bison could be important. So earlier I was talking about how that we all have an inner sense. 
And to me, that is that, that is what the stars, etc., remind us of. They bring us back to that in a sense. And so that's why the big dipper is within the bison. So yes, we have a physical form. Yes, we are of the earth, but the actual, but there is an aspect of us that connects us back to the stars that is actually within us. And so it's, 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 it's bringing it all together as one in a way. Now, to support with the depiction of the bison, there is a, what looks like a horn, but it, it's also shaped as a crescent moon. I didn't notice that until just now. I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, it's shaped like a horn, but it's it's absolutely a moon. Please continue. Yeah, and so that that supports with the stars feeling more like stars, but also it supports with the aspect of cycles, the moon representing cycles and the the cycles that we live and move in every day, which in many ways, you know, we've lost connection with in, in mainstream society. And in our lives with all these devices and even with all of the ways that we measure, we measure time, all of that, measure, you know, with a calendar, you know, but, but always and consistently there's always the cycles and they continue and they keep going. And that's, to me, the moon is representative of that and that brings it back to that. And that, like, all of these are aspects within uh, the chronomythology that, I saw present through all of the material that Phil shared with me. And the fact that it's in a circle is probably the rounding off aspect of that. And that is that the circle as a symbol is very important to the Lakota. They have the medicine wheel and a lot of other symbolic representations using the circle. I was I was going to ask actually about the circle aspect was because, you know, you were sort of saying that you let the process happen of sketching and of letting the shapes come together. But was it, so was it always a circle that you had intended for? Okay. No, you're shaking your head like, "Mm, no, no, (laughs) no, no, it wasn't. It started with the eagle and the bison and then it developed to the circle. And that was um, like, it was almost confirmed and encouraged through what I'd I've read in the research on the Korean mythology. And what is beautiful about you asking about this is that I don't plan this. And it's not a mysterious thing either. For me, it's like it's almost a scientific project where you're studying the science of life and you're you're observing life, you're observing people in life. So and in this case, the, the research that was shared with me is the observation of people in life and how they see and observe the world. And then it's my job to interpret that visually. It's actually everything to me is science. It's a science project in a way. And then it just happens that it comes out what what I produce is a, is a visual form and a visual representation. But to me, the most important thing to me is to honour the integrity of what I've been asked to do and on it the integrity of why I've been asked to, you know, complete that task or whatever it is. Yeah. So I'm so curious because, you know, you're taking on tasks that are, they're, they're hefty. They're a lot, you're, 
you're building a lot into these into these designs. And I mean, it's very evident that what you create stirs up a lot of emotion and awe and feeling in a viewer or in just, I'll call them a, a viewer because I guess that's what we are. We're looking at it. You've worked on many indigenous designs or with indigenous groups. And as a Western white woman presenting, I'm not assuming, I'm just, you know, and with Wild 12, you I mean, internally, we're trying to figure out how to be the best allies to these groups. And part of what makes your logo and the process of how you work so fascinating is you've really succeeded at building in those emotions. And h- how do you go back for feedback or what's that process like to make sure that you are capturing not just the visual elements, but the emotional elements of what these groups really want to feel when they're looking at the designs that they're asking you for? That's a really great question. And uh, always, so so the, this, this is the importance of being humble, actually, and this is what nature and this is what wilderness, if we want to call it that, teaches us. It's not about me. So the most important, important thing is to park any sense of self-identity or ego in the work that I do because if there's any self in it then that is going to make it about me and not about what I'm actually tasked to complete and what what is being called for to represent so that's the first thing and then the other thing that is really important is to have a deep sense that in some way like we are all connected and it's not easy. There's another project I was working on this year as a magazine project and with an Indigenous group I literally just sent it to print. It wasn't easy. It brought up a lot because of exactly what you're talking about because there is this paralysis almost that happens with the idea that, well, but I'm not of that particular tribe or I'm not. I didn't grow up that way, so I don't know, and and I don't. Therefore, I don't have the authority. Like, how can I possibly complete this task because I'm not of that particular band or tribe or whatever? And and that that I found have had periods of paralysis around that because, and it, it's it's actually awful because it comes from a place of separation, not of a place of connecting, and. So I had to work through that in the other project. And what I came to in the end was they've came to me and they've asked me to do this. And and it's my job to respond. <laughs> like I can't let pictures and ideals of where I sit in a so-called hierarchy of, of things in life get in the way of what I've been called to respond to. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing at the end of the day, where we are all human and we all share, we all share the fact that we are all human. And if we focus on the differences and what what is, you know, actually makes us this or that, then when when missing the factor of, you know, the, the the deeper connection we all hold and the deeper responsibility we all hold in connect in being connected with each other and having that depth of decency and respect in in the interactions and the ways that we are in relationship with one another. 
So the most important thing I'd say is is to approach it with a deep humbleness, but not a not a lack of equalness, because that's what happens. Is like we're going there's a cultural shame, and there is that. Let's be honest, it exists. There's a cultural shame about history and the past, and there's a lot of things to contend with around all of the the issues and and everything that we're facing right now but we have to bring it back to the fact that we're all actually nature and in nature and part of nature together and so there is a deep respect in that that we hold with each other and then it makes it easier to work and to do the work and realize that I'm not like I'm not a fraud I'm an interpreter and I've been asked to complete a task as a visual interpreter and I do that to the best of my ability and I do that in full consultation to the best of my ability as well. And I find that the, when the way that it works then is if I approach it that way, there's very little conversation that needs to happen. If I do my job well and in observation, then the client often comes back to me and they're like, oh, okay, great. <laughs> or they might... They might, as in the case of the magazine, come back and say, yeah, you know what, those icons don't, don't actually work. We're going to get a local person to go stream first. And I'm like, amazing, please do. That's perfect. And so, yeah, so, so those things, I'm, complete detachment is key. So fascinating. I, I, it's really an interesting perspective too. And I think you're incredibly right with or just insightful, I shouldn't say right, but just insightful with approaching it from a humble perspective as well. There's so much that we have yet to learn. And so it's so interesting to, to hear about how you kind of approach these projects because it seems that there are learning experiences for you as well at the start of almost every single one. You're kind of diving into a world that's not your own, but accepting it with open arms of just kind of absorbing whatever knowledge comes to you, which I think beyond graphic design or art is almost how we should approach many things in life. So I I think that's a, a really interesting takeaway from all of this. I would also love to touch on just how do you feel about the weight or the responsibility that graphic designers carry when working, or not even just graphic designers, but people, when they work with Indigenous groups, what does that responsibility mean for, you know, the advancement of working together in a better way as we grow in our communities and in this world um, and try and, I don't want to say fix, but help the what we've experienced in the past and what has been such a tumultuous and somewhat strained relationship yeah it's a great question because what you're actually asking is how do we evolve how do we evolve and not repeat the patterns of the past which let's be honest go back as long as history is recorded almost right and being i mean and you being from australia originally there's a lot of history there as well and still continues to be of course i i worked there for a little bit and I worked specifically with indigenous groups and like you had previously mentioned you know you can't ignore the fact that you are not one of them like you are not part of that but it doesn't mean that there isn't 
a place for connection and understanding and growth and community, even within people who are not necessarily not from the same backgrounds. Yeah, it is. And I had the opportunity of working what one or two Indigenous projects before I left Australia. I had a friend who worked quite closely with groups in the Northern Territory and yeah, I learned a lot there. And the question was in working together, like what is the responsibility of designers, graphic designers, I don't say designers across the board, but all of us, what is the responsibility of all of us? And this comes back to like, we have this mindset and we've been educated this way to compartmentalize our lives into sections. Well, this is this and this is that and that's that. And it doesn't work that way. The level of decency and respect we live with in one area needs to be, it's not independent of all of the other areas of our lives. So, you know, it carries across our relationships. So how we approach, how I work with, an indigenous group is also how I, you know, is impacted by how I am in my relationship or how I am with friends or how I am with family. And so all it's, it, to me, it's, and this is how I'm starting to see life. I didn't used to because I was educated that, you know, it's all in parts, but it's actually consistent. It's, it's a whole. And so therefore what's happening over here will impact over here. So I've learned that it's the small movements and the small things in the day that actually support to be able to respond in some of the more difficult moments of the day. And having that sense of presence and awareness to the, to the little things and the, the care that is taken in the small things. Not I'm not talking perfectionism or pedant, like none of that. It's it's literally about feeling a tactile sense of your presence in the world and and the importance of it. Okay, so there's that. And then the, the therefore that the struggle with being a designer is that we are taught that we have the answers. The model, not not that I taught this when I was teaching, but the model teaches us that we have the skills and therefore we have the authority and we know that what's best. And that is an immediate place of arrogance that will not put us in the humbleness that is required to deeply observe what requires what is what is there to be communicated essentially so i would say our greatest responsibility is to be the observer of life and to be the observer in any situation and not not just I've got a job to do, so I'm going to do my research and these things. Like, no, be the observer of life. Like, be the observer of people in life. Because that, in many ways, that is what Indigenous philosophy teaches us. Anyway, they, they're master observers. They always were and of nature and everything else. And that's, that's where part of the beauty of, you know, Indigenous philosophy and knowledge, you know, is being brought back to its place again which is that, you know, that, that place of observing life and observing and deeply respecting the world we live in and the people around us. I'd say I would see that as a, something that I have seen consistently across different groups that I've worked with. But, the, yeah, the important thing being that I don't have the answers. I'm here 
literally to be the interpreter and to support you in that way and to be of service in a way. But as an equal, not as a less, that's the other thing. I'm not less because I, because of, I happen to in this life be in a white a woman's body and neither nor am I greater. I just, this is the body I've been given, like, and this is, so therefore I have to work with that. And this, that's not greater and it's not lesser. It just is. Yeah. It just, you know, equal. It just Absolutely. is. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm not agreeing more. There's not much I can right. do about it. Exactly. <laughs> Just meet me where I am. I'll meet you where you are. You know, that's kind of how it works. Correct. So this is, it's so insightful and, and um, so fascinating. And I, I want to thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. And I, I do want to make sure that if there's any lingering thoughts or topics that you'd like to cover, that we can do that. Do you have anything else that you'd like to make sure we cover? Oh, gosh. No. And, and th- I mean, not specifically, except that I would, in many ways, like I, one important thing is I cannot take credit for this logo. I can take credit for the skills that were required to make it, but it didn't come from me. It came through me. So that sense of it coming through me was that it's inspired by all of those that have come before me. So if we were to, you know, we hear Indigenous groups speak of ancestors in a way, and like to me it's the same thing, that it's through everything that everyone else has moved before me that I am able to actually do this and bring this to, like, bring it to light and bring it to physical appearance. So therefore, I would like to thank the Lakota and their mythology in this particular case for guiding me to produce the logo for a while as it has been. Wonderful. I'm so looking forward to seeing what then moves through the the Congress and through this logo and how it evolves and continues um, and what comes of all of that. And we're just really thrilled that this work was produced through you with, you know, that you were worked, that you worked on this, that you've chatted with us today. Thank you so much. I'm almost like in awe because I can't design anything. I have zero, I have zero like graphic design ability at all. So it's really, truly amazing. And I really look forward to Wild's audience being able to learn more about it, but also for everybody at the Congress to just you know, take that as like a little piece of the whole Congress itself. So thank you so, so, so much, Marion. It was lovely, lovely chatting with you today. Yeah, thank you, Jackie. It's It's been great for me as well. And beautiful to hear, actually, confirm at the end, it's the purpose of the logo is actually to communicate and inspire what will then happen through the Congress and what's possible basically absolutely absolutely thanks for listening to today's episode find us on social media through the wild foundation and if you're feeling inspired don't hesitate to share this podcast with those around you and maybe even give us five stars on apple podcasts we appreciate the support more than you know and it's that support that allows our work to continue and evolve 